0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. Today is Sunday, November 16, 2014. The share ID number for Friday, November 14th, is 7036. That's 7036. This morning, A Vision for You presents an abstinence panel. The big book teaches us that we are bodily different from most people. The doctor's opinion, which serves as a preface to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, teaches that we have an allergy of the body, which manifests itself as a phenomenon of craving. An essential part of the beginning of the recovery process is the separation from those foods and eating behaviors which cause our cravings which overpower us. Part of what we have to do in step one is to identify and understand what those foods and behaviors are so that we can abstain from them. Here to share their personal experience are four recovered compulsive overeaters. This morning we have Esther C from Canada Chelsea H., who resides in New Jersey, Terry H., from Maine, and Katie F., who resides in Virginia. And we'll get started this morning with our first panelist, Esther C.
1: Oh, good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Esther C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. So I wanted to share with you today a little bit about my journey and how my abstinence has evolved you, while in the program of recovery. And also I would like to share how by coming to understand the importance of clean and honest abstinence, I've uh, not only deepened my relationship with my higher power, but I've also been free of that obsession to go back to com- uh, eating compulsively. Now, I've been a, a compulsive overeater my whole life. I don't remember a time where food wasn't on my mind. I was either running towards the food or running away from the food, either binging or restricting. I may not have done some of the extreme eating behaviors that you know that I've heard others share, but I sure must have been eating a lot because I managed to work my way up to a top weight of almost 260 pounds. Finally, in April of 2007, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in a pretty bad state, but it was actually a good state because at that point I was desperate and willing. So the meeting that I ended up in um, was a group in Overeaters Anonymous that had a specific food plan, and basically there, uh, you know, my sponsor had a little booklet, and she would tell me what my binge foods were. And not only did I have to abstain from the binge foods listed in this booklet, but if my own sponsor had particular binge foods, I couldn't eat those either. Now, at the time, I didn't see how these one-size-fits-all food plans could actually hinder the recovery process. And I didn't understand about really what my allergy was, and I was not directed to the big book or any of the chapters in the big book, which would help me understand my allergy. Um but even though I was technically abstinent, according to my sponsor, I was still doing a lot of strange things with my food, and I was using, still using food to regulate my moods, um, you know, to get that ah feeling. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about, la- about that later. Of course, I wasn't concerned about any of this stuff because I was starting to lose weight, and I was feeling good, and I was buying new clothes. And you know what? The, the body feels much better as it sheds excess weight, and I'm not stuffing it with junk. But that's not recovery. I could get that in any diet program. That's just one of the gifts, you know, some of the gifts of a healthier body. But I'll tell you, while I was enjoying this pink cloud stage, I, I was not, you know, worried too much about anything else. I was, and I had a very, very long pink cloud stage. This this lasted for a couple of years, but unfortunately, I hadn't done the step work properly, had had not done it out of the big book, and I wasn't recovered. So eventually, that mental obsession reared its ugly head, as it's always going to do, right? Um, I started feeling hungry again. Even though I had enough food on my food plan, um, I started to argue with my sponsor to arm wrestle with her about changes I thought I needed to see my food plan, maybe to add more food. And again, although I was technically abstinent and obedient most of the time with my sponsor, I was still doing a lot of things with my food, which I thought were a little bit compulsive. But I'll get back to that, you know, shortly. Of course, the uh, pressure built up and the obsession... Had its way as it always will, and I relapsed. At that at that time, uh, my pride prevented me from even calling it a relapse. I, I I used to refer to it as a slip for many years, because I thought, hey, you know, my my relapse was just like two big bags of chips, right? That's you know, potatoes, oil, and salt are on my food plan. For heaven's sake, that's not a it's not a relapse. It's just a slip. But um, and, you know, as if the food just plopped itself into my mouth. But by then, I had been listening to some big book meetings, and I realized I better run, not walk, to get myself a sponsor who would take me through the big book, through the 12 steps, as they're outlined in the first 164 pages, and to finally recover. But little did I know that not only would I be doing um, learning more about the steps, but I would also be learning about what it means to be truly abstinent. So if you've got your big book there, you can open it up in the fourth edition to page XXXVIII. And there in the chapter it says, We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So in other words, I experience, as a compulsive overeater, I experience an unusual reaction to certain foods when I ingest them, called the phenomenon of craving, and I can't stop. I cannot predict how much I'm going to eat of that food. So the big book teaches me in the chapter, The Doctor's Opinion, that I'm allergic to certain foods. So I thought, okay, I'll buy that. I mean, I certainly believe that it was true for me. No one needed to convince me that. I knew that there were foods that created that reaction in me. But what foods, sh- What you know, what are the foods I should be abstaining from? How do I know which are, are those foods? So if you go further down in that page, same page, further down, last cha- uh, last paragraph, There's a great line there, my favorite line in the big book. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. So that was new information for me, and that was very important information because it taught me that I don't eat compulsively because my mother underfed me or overfed me or because my parents did or didn't tell me they loved me or because I was too pampered or too strongly disciplined. It's also teaching me that I don't eat food because I like food. I don't really like food. Look what food was doing to me. It teaches me that I eat certain foods because of the effect that it has on me, the effect that it has on me. I don't like cookies. What I like is what cookies do to me. They do something to me that cucumbers never do to me. I feel good when I eat my binge foods. I feel better when I eat them. So which foods am I going to eliminate from my food plan? What are going to be called my binge foods or my trigger foods? It's going to be those foods that have that effect on me. And when I start to examine all those foods and to list them, I started to see a pattern of food ingredients in all those foods. And so those are the foods that I need to eliminate. So the first thing my sponsor taught me to do at that point, when we were reading the doctor's opinion, was to, you know, get out a piece of paper, you know, draw a box. And she said, start listing in it all the foods and food ingredients that I don't eat. So that's what I did. And in order to help me identify some of those foods, um, because I've been doing many years of eating, she gave me a few questions that I could ask myself that would help me articulate which foods that those might be number 1 she said which foods do i run to first for comfort number 2 which foods have i tried to control number 3 which foods am i constantly negotiating over right be, yes i should have it no i shouldn't have it yes i should have it no i shouldn't have it and number 4 which foods are actually substitutes for foods i really want and for me that was a lot of like diet type of foods you know diet ice cream diet candies So then my sponsor said to me, let's create a nutritious food plan with any foods you want as long as it's not the ones in the box. So now I've got a tangible list of my binge foods, and there's no room for forgetting and no room for not being sure because it's all there on paper. So I learned to create a food plan, right? And since I'm eating to nourish my body and not eating to regulate my moods, this is very important to create a food plan, right? Because I can't just say, like everybody else, I'll eat when I get hungry, because to me, every emotion looks like hunger, right? How else did I get to 260 pounds if not by eating only when I was hungry, right? So that's why I have a food plan. And to me, the word plan implies that before I eat, I've decided what I'm going to be eating. And my personal opinion is that it should be a written plan because it's a lot harder to forget or to break a, a written commitment than it is a verbal commitment. So when we use the big book as our compass for abstinence and recovery, we're all unified on what the problem is and, of course, what the solution is. So every, every single recovered person on the line today has the exact same abstinence. We're all abstaining from our binge foods and eating behaviors, which are those foods that create the effect in us. And depending on how long we've been abstinent, we're either moving towards or we're at a healthy body weight. So the exact same abstinence for all of us. But what's different is our food plan. Since we're all physiologically different, different ages, stages of life and genders and so on, our food plans are going to be different. I've always felt in the few short years that I've been in OA that it's been, and in the reading I've done of their history, we have our own history book, that always been characterized by food fights. Always arguments about what is or is not abstinence, you know, the my way or the highway type of thinking. And some of the splendor groups of OA are are identified by their one-size-fits-all food plans. I mean, you can read all about that in our history book. And many of these food plans draw on teachings or dogma from all these outside enterprises. But I say we can be unified um, on what abstinence means if we just open our big book. And I'll tell you another reason why these one-size-fits-all food plans didn't work for me, as I mentioned before. I was still doing funny things with my food. I'll give you an example. I remember asking my sponsor way back when, when I was in that, that particular group, if I could eat the skin on a chicken. She looks at the booklet. She goes, "Yeah, you can eat the skin on the chicken." And I thought, "Great." I went out. I buy a rotisserie chicken. She said, "I should eat a quarter of the chicken." So I look at the chicken. I picked out approximately a quarter of that chicken, but the parts that I liked—lots of skin, the real crunchy parts—and I ate it. And of course, I didn't, you know, want the rest of it because, you know, didn't have the exciting parts that I was looking for. So I fed that to my family. Next time, go back out, get another rotisserie chicken. You know, cut it up so like I'm getting about a quarter of it. And when my sponsor says to me, "Are you abstinent?" I say, "Yeah, sure, I'm abstinent." I remember um the very same program, I used to abuse sweeteners like crazy. Um, I went to the dentist once and because uh, and, I was having jaw problems. He says, do you chew gum? Yeah. How much? I don't know, four or five packs a day. Four or five packs a day. He says cows were built to have their mouths moving open and shut all day, not humans. That you know, And why was I eating gum all day? Because I just needed to constantly have that burst of sweetness you know, in my mouth because I was allowed to have the sweeteners, so I did, right, because I didn't know what else to do with myself when I wanted to eat. And another thing I used to do is eat foods that created a lot of bulk in me, lots of lettuce. I would eat, um, you know, like these little soy nuts, salted soy nuts, you know, one at a time, slowly taking sips of water in between. So by the time the end of the meal came, and it usually took me about a half hour to get through all that, I was feeling bloated and stuffed. My friends, there is no sponsor out there who can know which foods or eating behaviors create this sensation in you. I felt that I needed to be sensitive which, to which what foods create that effect in me, what what foods or eating behaviors make me go, ah, this feels good. You know, a brand-new member may not notice some of these subtleties at the start, especially if they've been binging, you know, for a long time. You know, if it was someone new, I would say, I would say to them, start with a basic, you know, nutritious food plan. But, you know, I, you know, but, but at a certain point, and over the years I began to be sensitized, to to sensations when I was eating and which foods turned me on. Anyways, by the time I finished the steps and was recovered, I had a relationship, you know, but a, a very new one, but it's still a relationship with my higher power. So as time goes on, and this has happened to me, that I find that there're sometimes new foods that call to me or or, you know, new foods that start to turn me on and I realize that it's time to put them down. Now, I don't know if this happens because I only noticed after years of recovery or Maybe if my taste buds have become sensitive, you know, once I wasn't eating all that junk food. But there are, have been some foods that I've removed from my food plan over the years, and I'll give you some examples. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of high fat, high salt, or very sweet uh, high high fat or high salt foods I find trigger me. Um, very sweet fruits, some of them I've had to eliminate. Um, I've told the story before. My brother-in-law once went to Costco and he found a cracker and he brought brought it home cuz he said to me you could eat all these you know he knows what i eat and he says you could eat all the stuff so i called my sponsor i read off the ingredients to her and and she says it sounds fine it's all the you know ingredients that you eat so i ate it you know it was my starch selection for breakfast and i and i have a starch at all the three meals and i had it for lunch and i had it for supper and then the next day I had it for breakfast for lunch and supper and i thought well that i told my sponsor about it she goes well that's weird esther she says you sort of sort of sort of overlooked all the other starch selections and now you're only having these crackers i think they might be a problem for you and one thing i realized is that certain type of crunchy foods are also triggered for me there's something relaxing for me about that type of food right i could I could eat a potato if it's boiled or baked, but slice it into thin slices and, you know, put it in the oven until it gets crunchy, and then it does something for me that it doesn't do when it's just boiled. So I'm not suggesting everyone go home and, you know, remove all these foods from their food plan, but only that as we become more spiritually sensitive, I sensed which foods start to call, call to me. And this is where I found that the one-size-fits-all backfired for me because, number one, I was already feeling deprived being on a food plan and not recovered especially since I had to eliminate all these binge foods that didn't trigger me, I was definitely reluctant to tell my sponsor when I would sense new foods that talked to me. And, you know, if I'm going to tell her that those crackers trigger me, she's going to tell me not to have them. And that's one, yet another food that's that I'm going to have to take off my food plan. And I also remember in those groups that there was a lot of shopping around for sponsors based on their food plans. We were all kind of hoping and praying that our sponsor would be reasonable and moderate and wouldn't make us eat some, you know, severe food plan. I've I've heard it said in program, and these are most of the, for I guess people who haven't recovered or have white knuckled abstinence that everything that they gave up had claw marks on it. I guess because meaning that they didn't really want to give it up. But once I recovered, I didn't see it like that way anymore, because for me, growing spiritually means having a clean, honest abstinence and making any changes to keep it clean. So if there's a food that's creating in me a longing of some sort, you know, for more food or more something more, then it's time for me to take a second walk and maybe to remove it. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, this final idea, something else that I had struggled with, was the idea of volume. Obviously, what's only, I mean, it's obvious to the rest of the world, but maybe not to compulsive overeaters. Portion sizes need to be appropriate for you know my age, height, activity level, well, etc. The OA statement on abstinence is refraining from eating compulsively while maintaining or moving towards a healthy body weight, and they added that last part. I always think it's funny that they added that that extra part only recently that you have to be maintaining or moving towards a healthy body weight. You think it'd be obvious that if a person were obese, that they were eating you know that they were still eating compulsively, but I guess it, to compulsive readers, it's not obvious. so this brings me to the next idea, and that is the issue of volume you know, when I still had weight to lose and I was arguing with my sponsor over the issue of volume, I kept arguing that if I eat larger portions of my binge foods, and that shouldn't trigger the phenomenon of craving because I'm not actually ingesting any of my binge foods, how does eating too much trigger this phenomenon of craving? It's not actually about ingesting a particular food. And that's what she taught me about eating behaviors, that not only certain foods but certain ways of eating also give me that sense of ease and comfort, that feeling of, ah, wow, that feels good, life's okay, I'll be fine, don't need you God. you know. I get that feeling when I'm stuffed, you know, if I've had more than just enough. So volume is a problem. So what's wrong with that feeling being a problem for me? What's wrong if I, you know, eat lots and lots of cabbage and that makes me bloated and then, you know, I feel good from that? Because if I'm overeating, meaning like eating more than food than my body needs, that, that means that the food is doing something for me besides nourishing my body right if i'm eating more of my body than my body needs so that extra food that feeling of fullness that stretch of my stomach however you feel it or sense it that's giving me my sense of ease and comfort and if that's the case i'm not going to be able to throw myself into the arms of my higher power if i've got some other eating behavior that i'm leaning on to make me feel good and this would apply to all eating behaviors that give me that effect it could be volume it could be eating my entire day's worth of nutrition, you know, in tiny, 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 small meals, so that basically I'm eating all day. For me, those types of behaviors could include, you know, reading while eating, reading while driving, while standing, or, or eating the first part of my meal as I'm preparing the rest of my meal. I mean, I could find a dozen ways to zone out with, with food but to be technically abstinent. And you know what I've been learning slowly is that I try to live life one day at a time as a recovered person and I do my best every day to deepen my relationship with my higher power, I learned of a a very deeply spiritual and what I think is a godly state called enough. Enough is a new place for me to be. I always lived in a state of not enough or, or more or too much. My resentments and my fears that I examined in step four showed me that my biggest complaint about life was that I didn't have enough of the things that I wanted, whether it was food, money, respect, validation, whatever it was, never enough. I almost killed myself at 260 pounds, trying to get more and more and more out of life. And I was doing the same thing with food. I was afraid that if I wasn't stuffed at the end of the meal, then if I didn't feel that stretch in my stomach, that I would starve. I would die. And I've met so many people in program who are terrified of putting down the volume. Or they're technically abstinent, right? I mean, they're at a healthy body weight, but they make food choices that offer them the possibility of getting stuffed at meals. Um... You know, I've met people who got to have tons and tons of liquid at every meal. I know I used to do this. I used to add a lot of water to my oats. So it would, like, grow and grow and grow and then eat it with a tiny little spoon so that just, like, you know, that good feeling would go on and on forever. I get calls from people who, who say that they're still overweight and they don't know what to do with their food plan. So if I say, well, you know, why don't you, you know, if you're overweight, maybe you could, you know, you know, trim your your food portions a little bit overall, and they're like, oh, I don't know. I'll be so hungry. What's going to happen? I, you know, I say, but if you're overweight, you're not hungry, right? The body tells you when you're hungry because the body shows it. And, of course, I'm talking about otherwise healthy people. So for me, volume triggers that phenomenon of craving, like the gambler or the debtor or any other addict who isn't addicted to a substance but rather to behavior, for me, eating too much or being too full, that sets me off. So it's a behavior that's got to go. And not only do I get to enjoy a healthy body when I'm not eating too much, I'm not being triggered by the food. And that longing for that way of eating is gone. And I maintain that neutral attitude towards food that we, that we read about on page 85 of the big book. This is not taking the tiger out of the cage three times a day business. No, 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 no. That was white-knuckled abstinence. This is we are neither cocky nor are we afraid. So a clean and honest abstinence and the daily spiritual practices allow me to be in the best possible situa- you know, state, the best possible vessel, the best esther I could be so that my higher power could fill me with his power, which I so desperately need to be recovered one day at a time. It allows me the possibility to contain his light and to reflect that light to everyone I meet. And for me, this is what recovery is. And I bless you all with it. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Esther C. Now I welcome panelist two, Chelsea H.
2: Thank you, Leah, and good morning, everyone. My name is Chelsea H. And I'm a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Grateful um, to be here to share my experience about abstinence and to explain why today, since March 16 of 2013, my understanding of abstinence is black and white, very clear. And when shades of gray do come in, I have a skill set now to deal with it so that it's not hanging out there taking my abstinence from me or allowing me to lose my abstinence. So identifying my substances, my behaviors, developing a plan of eating, making a commitment to my abstinence, Developing a plan to do the 12 steps, and then actually taking all 12 and carrying this message and making it an integral part of my life is all part of my abstinence. Because as it says on page 53 in the big book, that when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he's nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was my choice to be? And as an agnostic, that was a choice that I had to get together and make because when I came into the rooms back in the 90s, back in the late 90s, I was well over 325 pounds, working my way on up to um, 327, 28, who knows where it would have stopped. But I was of agnostic temperament. So I, from the very early on, was resistant to portions of this program. But I came in through c which is um, another sect of OA. It's another thing of OA, and as was shared just a moment ago, there's a lot of different factions. At any rate, I, too, was given a plan of what I was supposed to eat, three meals a day with nothing in between but sugar-free gum and soda, diet soda, <laughs> Would it, thank God I'd, sugar was not my main thing, uh, fat and salt and stuff is, I'll talk about that a little later, because uh, I, this kept sending me back into the food, and I did not know why at the time, back in the 90s when I came in. So anyway, I was only reading um, the OA literature at the time, the, the commentary. I call it the, the OA 12 and 12, I refer to it as the commentary, just like the AA 12 and 12 is the commentary on the big book, The 12 Steps. It's someone's, um, you know, recounting or bringing into light their perspective on what has um, taken place over a period of time or working with the steps and what their results were. So at any rate... I was able to lose weight. I lost like about 90 pounds, only to find 110 because every time I lost weight, I would gain it back. Again, I had no knowledge. I didn't know what I didn't know. So I yo-yoed in the rooms. I yo-yoed in the rooms for a long time on these different food plans, as we shared earlier, and tried to um, successfully tackle this thing. But it just each time I failed. I failed utterly. So... Fast forward, 2004 comes around, and after years of practicing bulimia, because I had learned bulimia when I was working in the casino industry, and I thought that was the cure-all to be-all, because my background includes a culture of eating being equated with love. For example, our Sunday dinners, and I've shared this before, where these meals were banquets. Large enough to, you know, we had so many foods we could have fed a small country just off of one day's meals and oh, a separate table for drinks and all. So the culture of eating equated with love was my initial entry point. From the time I can ever remember, food was a part of uh, my life and overeating it as well. So learning to purge was, um, to me, a gift. Because I was taught um as we could drink the more we um eat, the more we can drink, so that was a dynamic, a vicious cycle for me that just ran throughout my life, chasing my tail, trying to drink more and eat more, drink more and eat more, and when I learned purging, I thought that was that 's the panacea that 's it, and then when laxatives came into the fold oh man i i 've arrived <laughs> I had arrived. But little by slowly, things got worse, incrementally. I, some of it I didn't even recognize was happening, but little by slowly, it started getting into where I was totally out of control. So we're in 2004 now. I said fast forward to that because my eating at that point took on uh, industrial size, uh proportions, and I was – Going in a vicious cycle to the point to where all I wanted was the food. And as it says in the doctor's opinion, which was cited, men and women drink essentially to get that effect. So the effect of love, which I equated with food, I chased for many, many years, many, many years, all to no avail. So on March 28th in 2004, I shot, Well, abstinence. At the time, it was a white-knuckle abstinence and um found that I was um not only white knuckling it I put down on in March 2024 uh, on the 28th I put down the liquor and I put down the food I had actually gone to a, a OA/AA combo meeting and the, these uh, the people in there were suffering from both addictions so the big book was used all the time because up until this point the OA 12 and 12 was the book that I was using and I knew it, I was studying it and knew it pretty well. But then I got introduced to the big book and I really started to bristle because, again, it was all this stuff about God, 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 and this distant this, praying and all this stuff. And all I wanted to do was eat. I wanted to eat and not suffer the repercussions. And that wasn't happening for me. And I would stay absent for a couple of, maybe sometimes even a year or two But it was all white knuckle, and I was angry to be around. I was, you know, I was very short-fused, restless, irritable, and discontented, which is what the doctor talks about in the doctor's opinion. So anyway, I would describe my abstinence at that time as stuff like um, my food sloppy. Uh, Oh, I'm not purging today. I'm not eating sugar. Sugar wasn't a problem for me, so of course I could throw that out there. I didn't talk about the other stuff that I was eating, all under the banner of white-knuckle abstinence, because I did not understand, like what it says on uh, Roman numeral 30 of the doctor's opinion, that um, entire abstinence was required. The only prescription that Dr. Silkworth offered was entire abstinence. I was nowhere close towards entire abstinence. So my food was imperfectly abstinent. I heard that many, many times and have used that many, many times. So anyway, I spent years in and out of relapse and not being able to, like they talk about on page 24, and there's a solution, at certain times to bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the last binge, the last humiliating event of my pants splitting because by this time I'm well up into a size 24 tight. Squeezing in, grateful that they had stretch clothes, but at some point I would put on black pants, and it was funny because I heard somebody say this once, they turned gray. I was stretching them so far and refused to get anything bigger because I thought that I could handle it and I would lose the weight again, but it wasn't happening for me. It went on and on and on, so running around, stark, raving, abstinence. So then how did I get to where today that, for me, the abstinence is crystal clear, Well, on March 16th of 2013, looks like March is my month, (laughs) I uh, saw what I call my three ebbies. I went to a We Agnostics big book panel. And again, I had lost about 10 pounds at that point. So I was like 300 and uh, maybe uh, 16 pounds, uh, you know, but wobbling in. My knees were killing me. I mean, I was so bitter. I came in, and I came because of the title of the meeting, because, again, I was agnostic, and I thought I would come in and not have to deal with the God part, because I had spent time in that chapter, we have agnostics, just reading the title, never reading any of the content, and saying, well, I'm an agnostic, so I don't have to do a whole lot of stuff in here. I don't need to do, you know, any definitely none of the God stuff. I'm an agnostic. I had no idea what, you know, what it meant, but I sure uh, threw that chapter around. So seeing my three Ebbies and whom the problem had been solved, they were talking about stuff that made sense to me, and they were talking about the need for me to have some kind of power outside of what I had been trying over and over. Now, at the time, it wasn't that crystal clear that that's what they meant. But seeing somebody who, was, who had walked this life of misery and bitterness and uh, weight and food and obsession about how I'm going to control the weight and the food and on and on and on, it was so um, alluring. It, it, it was attracted like a magnet. And I listened, and afterwards I went up to someone in whom I felt that I I liked the uh, message that they brought, and I liked the way they brought it. And I um, got to work with this individual to guide me through the text, and um, just like the book says, I accepted the um, plan outlined in the book. It says that on Roman numeral 31, in the doctor's opinion. I accepted the plan, but I took action on my acceptance, And then I got results, and then I knew. But before I could do any of that, I had to get the food down. The food had to be put down. And then the guy that took me through the steps had me email my food daily. That was something I hadn't done. And it wasn't so much to police my food. It was done so that in my opinion, this was the result for me. It was done because it taught me how to be honest and how to be accountable. Very elusive traits for me. But it taught me how to kick in and be responsible. And I did that. And I actually went and got help because I had no clarity on what abstinence was at that time. And I had no clarity on what it was to eat to have any kind of real food plan because, again, I had been given the way that I should eat, and it wasn't working. So anyway, I go to a professional, to somebody who was actually familiar with compulsive overeaters, and I was able to get some clarity on what it is to actually eat uh, proportions, you know, portions of things, and to actually understand for my body, my age, what do I need to do to get healthier and to get towards a healthy body weight. And in the bargain, to not eat any of the foods that will cause the phenomenon of craving in me. Okay, so I get this information, and I get a plan from a professional along with what vitamins and stuff I should be taking, and I post it on my refrigerator, and I follow it to the letter and uh, do exactly what's said there. I walk through the process with my guide, doing exactly what I'm told the food was down, And again, I've got results. Each chapter we went through, I started getting results. So it became more and more paramount that I stay abstinent. Because then at that point, while it wasn't 100% crystal clear what my abstinence would be, I knew that I wasn't triggering anything to make me want to eat again because I was not having that phenomenon of craving. Now, I had other mental things going on that I had to eventually learn how to get the skill set to deal with that, too, because my mind at that point, we were walking through the process, was still chattering and carrying on and screaming and yelling about something actually being done this time about this compulsive overeating. Oh, gee, I thought that you were going to go back again. Come on, what is this? You mean you're actually doing something? Go get a bite to eat, girl. No, it wasn't doing. That. It was screaming and yelling that time, but I wasn't giving in that time. So what I would do is, whatever chapter we were working on, my guide and I, I would investigate more. I would fill my mind with recovery, rather than trying to listen to the monkey chatter. Because when it came up, I knew it was coming up, and I said, well, let me go find an audio to listen to. Let me read about, okay, we read uh, the doctor's opinion. Let me go check out about the doctor. What about the doctor? Let me check about that area. How did he come to those terms? You know, just filling my head with recovery, keeping my head in the book. And at that point, I began little by slowly to come into finding out that, you know what? This is kind of cool. I'm feeling really more and more relaxed. And then as I moved through the steps and I went through four through nine and, again, doing the work, actually doing it, actually becoming engaged and invested in my own recovery, the food started getting more into the peripheral part of my life. And because I wasn't triggering the allergy, because I kept it really simple to what I was given to eat by the nutritionist and to um, – Stay within those realms. Very simple during the beginning. I um, was able to stay abstinent, walk through this process, have my awakening, and then I knew. And when I woke up, because I'd been asleep thinking I was awake, I was delusional. When I woke up, I realized that those delusions that I had, that somehow I was going to be able to beat the game, that somehow, someday it would be different for me. The delusion that, um, that it talks about on page 32 in the big book about how I think I'll be able to eat like other people, that was smashed to bits, to smithereens. And also the whole idea that I could rest satisfaction. Talks about that on page 61. I rest satisfaction and happiness out of this world, if only it manages well. That, too, had had gone. So again, my abstinence became vital to me, became vital. And then I would go and I would continue on to realize that the obsession of my mind, that somehow, someday I'll be able to control and enjoy my drinking, d- demolished. Demolished. The big book had brought it all into clarity for me, and by me taking the actions that were necessary to walk through this process and get the results, that final thing, the first requirement that I was be convinced it says on page 60 that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success was really crystal clear because I had unearthed the problem. The problem had been selfishness and self-centeredness and I had addressed it with the solution. I I was sold on the ideas in the book and I took the actions to get the work done. And then as a result, There I was. I knew. And once I knew, I was able then to put things into better perspective and to work and grow in effectiveness and understanding of it and still be agnostic. Because one of the things that really saved me and helped me to really even dig in deeper to this program was um, on page 63 in our big book, that um, Third Step Prayer, not so much the prayer, but what was the uh, sentences underneath of it. It says, the wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. This was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made an effect. There's that effect that I've been chasing. Sometimes very great one was felt at once. And I, to this day, read that over and over again, because that stays me. And another thing, since the OA 12 and 12 was a big part of my um, experience, and it continues to be now, I read over and over again, because this spiritual life, the big book tells me, is not a theory. We have to live it. And on page 106 in the OA 12 and 12, the commentary, it says, those of us who live this program don't simply carry the message, We are the message. Each day that we live well, we are well. And we embody the joy of recovery, which attracts others who want what we have found in OA. We're always happy to share our secret, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, which empower each of us to live well and be well one day at a time. So those two things, to me, marry up and they allow me to do what the big book says I will come to do, the promises that it tells me, to love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm starting to more and more understand what that means. Love and tolerance is our code. That's our DNA. So by me living the 10th step promises, 84 and 85, those pages, I get to experience the 9th step promises one day at a time one meal at a time, one act of service at a time. And little by slowly, I grow in a different way now in effectiveness and understanding of my purpose, which on page 102 it says is to be at the place where I can be of maximum service to whatever the source is greater than myself and others about me. Being other-centered is, to me, where God lives as I understand God. I pass.
0: Thank you, Chelsea H. And we now have panelist number three, Terry H. Welcome.
3: Good morning. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine and I'm so grateful to be able to share my experience with the doctor's opinion and um, thank the other other panelists for being here with me today. Um, so, so my story with the doctor's opinion, um, it really, I just, I, it just says it all for me. Um, I came in, my story, you know, my stories are different when we, you know, we all get here for the same reason. But um, my story, you know, I came in in 2000, not knowing about the allergy of the body or or the obsession of the mind. And I was handed a food plan, and I stayed on that food plan. Um, I really didn't know what my binge foods. I just knew that I wanted to stop eating the way that I was eating. So I was handed a food plan, and um, I was on that food plan, I stayed with it, on, I you know, stayed on it for three months, and um, but I was not working the steps, and I decided to, um, uh, you know, stayed on for three months, and I was working the steps, and what happened for me was, after those three months, not knowing what my real problem was, you know, having the, the, the two-fold disease, the allergy of the body and the of the mind, I picked something up off that food plan. And it took me to a four-year binge. Um, so when I came back, that was in the year of 2000, and so when I came back in 2004, which is my absent date, um, July tenth, two 2004, I came in. I came back beaten to the pulp. And um, what happened for me was I had um, that desperation, like, um, you know, just knowing that I couldn't continue to do this because I was killing myself. So I, I found a big book guide and... Um, we sat down and you know we started going through the doctor's opinion and and what it explains you know for me in the doctor's opinion doctor's opinion it says you know why does the doctor's opinion what does it what does the doctor's opinion say about abstinence so on page thirty which a couple of the panelists have already hit on um, you know um, xxvi on page Roman numeral thirty uh, xxx Um, It talks about the classifications of the alcoholic. Um, So, you know, they talk about the psychopath, the one who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink, Um, uh, the one who believes that after a time they can drink again, uh, the manic-depressive type, and the one who is entirely normal except when drinking. So, you know, the doctor goes on to say that, you know, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an alley which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment that which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have is to suggest entire abstinence. So um, what I learned here was, you know, the average temperate eater are always able to control how much they eat so i had to ask myself am i different from the average temperate eater and do i have this allergy that results in overpowering craving for more of my alcoholic foods once i start to eat and um so um it so when i when i came back in 2004 um we sat down and um i had no idea really what my you know what the you know what i had an allergy to i just knew the foods that i ate so what she suggested was to write down my last binge. So my last binge was, um, I had 16 binge foods that day. And that was, and I never want to forget that because that, you know, um, so what that consisted of um, was um, uh, donuts, pretzels, muffins, chocolate chip cookies, breaded barbecue chicken, chips, a bag of Twizzle candy, peanut butter crackers, popcorn, not with just butter but with extra butter, french fries, ice cream, two salads, cheese chocolate croissant, brownies, and a half a jar of peanut butter. So I thought I was doing pretty good that day because I had had two salads um, for that day in between all those binge foods. So when I hit my bottom, you know, I came in, you know, that next day and I knew, like, I knew that I couldn't continue this way. So we sat down together and um, she asked me, you know, what were the common ingredients in these foods? So what I did was, I actually went to the store and I started looking at the labels on these items. And she also told me to look at spices because spices have a lot of, you know, a lot of types of sugar in it. And if sugar was um, part of my problem that, you know, I'd have to take a look at those. Um, so um, each ingredient I found, the common ingredients was sugar, flour, and fat for me, and also wheat. And um, the wheat was a given because as a, um, a young child, I was tested um, um, and now I know, like, I really have the, I really have the allergy because I was tested, you know, I, I had um, a breathing problem when I was um, younger and I was tested with um, 43 needles in my back with all the allergies, you know, um, with, you know, some allergies that um, they wanted to test me for to see if I was allergic to them. And a lot of them had to do with a lot of the foods, but not knowing where the foods would take me if I, you know, if I picked them up. So I was introduced to them, I mean, um, at, at a young age, um, And so what happened for me was, um, so I found out the ingredients in these. um, There was, you know, um, the common ingredients for me was sugar flour and wheat um, and fats. Um, And it was a given because everything that I had looked on, those were like the top ingredients. And um, I knew I was allergic to wheat, but I had no idea that um, wheat was in everything. Um, I knew that from being tested, you know, from a young adult. So what she asked me with these foods, you know, um, there was ten questions that she asked me. She asked me, could I control the amount, um, well, first of all, she asked me, what what foods would I put my slippers on to go get? Um, the second question was, could I control the amount I ate once I started eating any of these foods? And, of course, the answer was no. Um, could I control the amount I ate every time I ate these foods? Um, Question four, um, was I restless, irritable, and discontented when I'm eating these foods or not even eating these foods? And, of course, the answer was yes. Um, uh, uh, The answer was no, I I was irritable. Yes, I was irritable, restless, and discontented. And question um, five, when I'm trying to control certain foods, am I enjoying them? Um, I never enjoyed them when I was trying to control them. And when I'm enjoying them, can I control them? That was question six. Um question seven was there anything that anyone could have said or done that would keep me away from eating these, these alcoholic foods in the past? and the answer was no um I had tried many times you know i i I once you know asked my daughter to you know if she saw me eating you know chips to you know say something to me, and you know um it just never worked um so question um Question eight, you know, once I start eating these foods, does my mind tell me to stop eating or does my mind tell me it will be okay to continue to eat? And um, uh, so so the next two questions that was asked, do I believe a physical craving would occur if I were to eat these foods? Um, and I knew because um, these were the foods that I would go to every day. Um, and the, the last question was, was quantity a problem for me? So I had to get honest with 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 that question. Because I knew like I had overeaten all these things to some point, but she also asked me, you know um uh, would I overeat even if it was abstinent food and Of course, the answer was yes, um because i I am all about more um I think I have a more button installed in me, and um you know, and I'm all about the more so um and it would be dishonest uh, for me um with any any kind of quantity. So for an example, you know, um if and I've tried this, you know, in the first first time I came in for the ninety days, you know, I I uh you know, they said I could have an apple and which was fine. I had one apple but um it wasn't just one normal size apple. I would go to a you know a whole grocery grocery store and um look for the biggest apple. Um, because they said I could have one apple, they didn't really say you know what size apples. So I was all about the more. So some of the eating behaviors that um, you know that we sat down and we talked about was um, you know what were the what were my food behaviors you know um, you know what do, what do I do around food when I have food in my hands? So some of the some of the food examples for me were eating, watching TV, um, eating, talking on the phone, um, eating while reading, um, night eating. Eating fast, eating fast or finishing first before everyone, um, eating standing up, eating while driving, eating in bed, eating more when I was alone, um, eating off other people's plates, um, going to the refrigerator and cupboard over and over expecting something to change in there, like there's a little man supposed to be behind there saying, I'm going to put something different in there, so let's look again. Um, also, uh, taking second and third helpings, um, eating unpredictably from day to day. And, um, the thing that I call BLT, bite, licks, and taste. Um, um, so in even, you know, drinking, you know, less than six to eight waters a day, you know, I never had water. Um, and I would always tell my husband, you know, I'm getting my water from my lettuce. And he would, you know, just kind of look at me with three heads. And I really believed that I was getting my, le- my water from lettuce, um, um. Um, uh, but I found myself multiple times going to um I, I was so dehydrated that I was eating um I was eating glasses of of ice. I wouldn't get the water but I would get just glasses of ice and I would just chomp on those all day long. Not that ice is a binge food for me, but it's just because I was dehydrated, it wasn't getting the, the right um the right balance but you know, as far as water. Um so why why is separation necessary before we work this steps? So on page XXVI on page 26 it talks about in four places it talks so it's um it's page 26 down the bottom the last sentence and it says it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he then has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So this tells me I have to emerge from the fog of my last binge before I can, um, you know, so that I'm clear-headed and that I can, um, you know, go on into my recovery. So the next place it talks about the separation is on page XXVII, which is uh, Roman numeral 27 at the bottom, directly across from that paragraph that I just read. It says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his, physical cravings for liquor, and often that often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. So this tells me that quitting is not my problem, because I was always able to quit. You know, I, I had been on multiple, multiple diets, and, you know, um, you know, I had quit, you know, having done it many times, but my problem is, you know, that I can't stay quit. That's my problem. So, um, so this allergy, when it's going on, it just it it compels me to to um, go to more. So, um, on page xxxi, Roman numeral thirty-one, eight, li- eight lines down from the top, um, it says: Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. So this tells me, you know, I put down the food. I have to put down the food. And then I get to pick up the steps, because I'm clear-headed, and then I can have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. So the last place it talks about, you know, why separation is necessary, um, on the same page, um, uh, Roman Numbers 31, uh, 10 lines up from the bottom, it talks about, it says, you know, following his physical rehabilitation, He had talked with me in which he frankly stated that he thought the treatment a waste of effort unless I could assure him, which no one ever had had in the future, he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. So this tells me, you know, um, that separating from my my physical condition, it helps me to see more clearly what is happening, you know, Um, and it also, you know, the impulse to eat is, is also different, a different issue from the craving that results after the beginning of the binge. So um I know for me that I don't have the willpower to um to, to stay away from my 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 alcoholic binge, as I call them so i I came in and um you know i I learned a lot about you know the 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 doctor's opinion um you know the doctor's opinion has really really helped me get clear about what my you know what my allergy is and uh so the, so one of the things that you know really helped me with the powerlessness um you know, my guide and I we sat down and on page x x v i i on Roman numeral twenty eight it talks about um uh, uh uh the paragraph that Esther read um it says we believe and so suggests a few years ago that the action of the alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. The, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and once having formed a habit, they finally cannot break it. Once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up and then they, they become astonishingly difficult to solve. So this is one of my favorite paragraphs, because when my guide and I sat down, we turned these um, statement into questions. So, It would read like this um, Do you believe that the action of the alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy? That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker? Well, I didn't know at that point, but then we continued with the rest of the question. So she asked, Did I try to safely use these alcoholic foods in any form at all? And the answer was yes. So once I developed, so I learned once I developed the phenomenon of craving. I will never return to non-compulsive eating, and any amount or type of my alcoholic foods will trigger the overpowering desire for more. So question two, did I form the habit and found that I could not break it? The answer was yes, because when I, you know, I had, I had lots of, lots of bouts with, um, you know, I, I just could not break this cycle. So I learned from this I lose power, choice, and control. Now I'm eating without my permission. So, question three, did I lose my self confidence? Absolutely. The answer was yes. I failed repeatedly to stop on my own, and it, it destroyed my, my self confidence. Um, so, question four, was my reliance upon things human? And the, and the answer was yes. You know, I had friends, families, my husband, doctors, diet clubs, gym instructors. They all failed in my attempts to help break the cycle of my binge eating. So, what happens? I'm left with facing the inability of all human reliance to give me release. So, um, question 5, did my problems pile up on me and become astonishingly difficult to solve? Yes, my life became unmanageable un- manage- and um I was now living on page 52 where they talk about the bewilderments. Um so, um so to end this, you know, the the questionnaire, she said, well, if the fo- if the following five questions are true, It's because the previous question, which was, do you believe the action of the colonies chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy? And the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So this told me that I was not an average temperate drinker. So my truth that I found out in this was when I put my alcoholic foods into my system, I physically lose control on how much I eat once I start. So the doctor's opinion was no longer an opinion it is my truth today, so I was directed to see a dietitian to receive my food plan, and um I'm so grateful for that um that direction because you know it, you know the definition of abstinence um what is the definition of abstinence so the definition of abstinence is you know abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. What is a plan of eating? So a plan of eating is described. A plan of eating is one of the ways in which an individual OA member chooses to be abstinent. That includes refraining from particular foods or specific compulsive eating behaviors. So now I have, you know, I have what my, I know what my problem is and, um, you know, I will tell you the spices, you know, when I, when I did my list of, you know, my, my foods that day, that last binge, you know, I had written down some spices and I found that I was eating salt. That had dextrose in it, so I had to look at, you know, what forms of sugar, you know, not just plain sugar, but what other forms of sugar were there. So I had to look at the different forms of sugar. So, you know, like fructose, high fructose corn syrup, honey, molasses, um, anything with with rose in it. So sucrose, maple syrup, um, uh, there was uh, cane sugar, dextrose. Um, So I looked at, you know, I just looked at a lot of a lot of spices to see if those ingredients were in them and and um lo and behold, I found that those you know those just it didn't say sugar, but it had these other you know consistent of dextrose maltrose, dextrin um and and those were all forms of sugar that I was not aware of, so I just really found that you know um by really being clear about what I can't go to today, um I know that um by refraining from my, my abstinent, you know, my abstinent, uh, by refraining from my, my abstinent, not my abstinent, my, my alcoholic binge foods that, um, you know, I, I've had the freedom today to um, continue this journey um, and be relieved from the obsession of the mind because I, you know, I I continue to live in 10, 11 and 12. And I'm so grateful that, you know, um, I'm so clear that, you know, the doctor's opinion is my truth today. And, um, you know, I, I, I work with others, you know, and when I'm working with others, you know, we do um, which we've heard on the line the red light, yellow light, and, and green light to really help identify what what your what your foods are that are not okay that you're not sure of, and that are you're good to go. And what I found is when the yellow light usually either ends up on the red light or the green light, and um, and usually for me um, the yellow light I've seen over and over again that it's but you're not sure of the foods because um um people have you know have not wanted to give them up. So um and they usually end up on the red list. So I'm grateful to be sharing with you today. Um you know this journey has been an awesome journey for me. Um and I I can't thank the doctor enough for really just really putting it clear that um this is really about um knowing what, what my allergies are and what foods that I, I, I have to abstain from. So Thanks. With that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Terry H. And panelist number four, Katie F.
4: Star one to unmute, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And... uh, I've just really enjoyed listening to all the other people, and it's really hard to think, you know, what can I add? What can I add to all this um, wisdom and, and recovery that has already been shared? Um, but I will start with uh, I have been um, abstaining from compuls- compulsive overeating since October 7, 1987, and I've been maintaining a 70-pound weight loss for 26 years. Um so prior to that I spent you know the first 27 years of my life trying to prove to myself that I did not need something like this drastic program and that I just needed the perfect food plan and then I would be fine. Um and what happened was uh this doctor's opinion you know spelled it out so well exactly what kind of person I was because um It says on XXVIII, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Um, And then it goes down to say frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Well, that is pretty much where I lived. I lived in frothy emotional appeal thinking that my situation was unique, that, you know, my living situation, my working situation, everything that I was in was unique, and so While you all had all these great ideas about what you had to do, that just was not going to work for me. And so, what had to happen is I had to surrender to the fact that I could not eat like other people ever. And, you know, I have to say that when I came in and I did surrender on October 7th, I didn't know what I was signing up for. I did not have one notion that I would be. Still abstinent 27 years later because I still thought that all I needed to do was to lose some weight and then everything would be okay and that it wouldn't, you know, this just would not bother me anymore. But as I studied the doctor's opinion and as I have lived this journey, I have found that, you know, this is a progressive disease. So unlike, you know, a normal diet where after you've lost the weight, you get to loosen up on what you do and you get to eat, um, you know, just a little bit different and, you know, you can rest, um, you know, not be so uh, uptight about it. Well, I am not uptight about my food today, but I have not let up on what I do. I do the same thing today that I did when I walked in the room. And actually, I'm much more honest I'm much more clear and I'm much more um, willing to do whatever I have to do for my recovery. Now, the difference is I have come to uh, the land of recovered, as people call it, where the promises have come true in my life. And so, as it says on page 84, Um, I'm going to read this whole section because this is where I live today. I have put down the food. I still weigh and measure my food. I still call in my food every day. I call in food changes, and I eat, um, I do not eat any of my binge foods, which some of those binge foods, um, you know, are things that other people get to eat. Uh, but as other people have described already this morning, you know, that combination of fat, flour, and sugar, well, there are certain foods that just are just too high in fat and too ooey gooey for me. And I cannot honestly, you know, I just would never be satisfied with the amount that a person could have, so I do not eat them at all. Um, and I am perfectly happy with them. Uh, It says at the bottom of page 84, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. Well, I just want to stop here and say, yes, this has happened automatically with my food, that I do not fight. I do not think about, you know, that Thanksgiving is in however many days from now and they're going to be having, you know, foods that used to be my binge foods and how am I going to get through that and I better make sure that I have exactly what I want and my favorite foods because, you know, otherwise I'm going to be tempted. I don't live that way, but I do have to keep working this program on a daily basis because my sister or my niece or my, whoever could get on my nerves and I could fail to be living in a spiritual fit condition and that is the kind of thing that causes people to go back to the food because they are so worried about the food they're not thinking about their spiritual condition but you know I, um, I live in 10 11 and 12 by staying in constant contact with people like the ones who are on this line this morning by listening to the things they stopped doing, and, and that that doesn't work. It doesn't work to graduate from this program and to think, you know, well, it's Thanksgiving, or I'm busy, or I have a new job, or I moved, or I'm pregnant, or I have babies, or I, you know, am tired, or I, the traffic was terrible, or it's snowing, or, or uh, the electricity's out. All of those things I have lived through days on end, you know, living by myself, living with a lot of people, living with, you know, people who get on my nerves, living with, um, you know, disappointment, living with death, all of those things have happened in my life and I am still able to stay recovered because I continue to work this program. So it says, we will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part, just come. That is the miracle of it. And so what I'm saying is it's not, you know, someone, I did get a food plan from a nutritionist and it saved my life, but I'm not on that same food plan today. I mean, it's basically the same, but. Other than milk, there's very few things that I eat that are exactly the same as the food that I ate when I came in and when I lost 70 pounds. I eat different food. Are they different food groups? No, but my my likes have changed, and I you know enjoy different things in, in different years. And in you know I'll eat the same thing for a, a long time. I don't worry about variety. I don't worry about. Um, you know, everything being exactly my favorite food all the time, if it means that it's really inconvenient to get it. If something becomes really inconvenient to get, then I find something new to eat. You know, these are the kind of things that can um, really trip people up. And, you know, I have so much life today in between my meals, whereas before my I lived for my meals I and I you know when I came in as um someone shared you know they remember their last binge and I am very grateful that I do too because I had been in OA for 6 years and I had just was the chronic slipper I was the chronic uh you know three weeks of abstinence then a slip or Uh, just lying to myself and everyone else about the fact that I was abstinent when really I wasn't because I was, you know, doing all these behaviors that people have described where I was really binging on abstinent food. or I was eating so much volume that it was, you know, it was just ridiculous to call it abstinence. But I did until I finally actually slipped and had a binge and a relapse that lasted for almost a year. Uh, so that time period, I remember like it was yesterday. And I am so grateful for that because if I forget that, then I am doomed to repeat it. And I am 54 years old. There is are decades left of binging in my, that I could do unless I took my own life or unless I, you know, drove off the road from binging while I was driving. But the idea that I have graduated and do not need to continue to do this craziness with my food of, you know, calling in food changes um, or putting the food away because I realize it isn't what I committed. I mean, that may sound like craziness to someone who is looking to be free. But I'm telling you, I feel free even though I do those little things because to me it is the way that i stayed connected to my higher power by being honest and if i'm not willing to be honest about whether i'm having you know a banana or strawberries then where am i headed you know so i use that as a barometer of what um is is the uh honesty in my life today and so i want to continue reading this really is where I live. Um, We are not fighting either, are we avoiding temptation? We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. And I just add to that one day at a time. I don't, I'm not safe and protected, you know, back in 1988 when I I met my goal weight and then that's the end of it. Um, we have not even sworn off instead the problem has been removed it does not exist for us we are neither cocky nor are we afraid that is our experience that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual co- condition so this fit spiritual condition for me is that i continue to look at my behaviors and i you know i i i Reread the doctor's opinion right along with everybody else on a vision for you. I did a big, thorough big book study last year that, you know, helped me to understand this, this doctor's opinion even more. You know, there's constantly more to learn. It is not a once and done. And, you know, I don't just write down everything that everybody says and then think I can go and do it on my own. You know, I need the, uh, the daily commitment to a sponsor, I have people who call me on their sponsor. I have other people that I call on a regular basis. um I return calls to newcomers. These are all things I do because I know that this is a progressive illness and um, I don't want to go back to this way of life. You know it says on page um uh, I can't say it, uh, 31, Roman numeral 31, from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. Well, that is what I am today, but it's not um, as if that means that I I, um, I get to experiment with my food. It doesn't mean that I get to, you know, just um, not be so... Uh, concerned about, you know, portion control anymore, you know, that I can eyeball it now. And that may not be the way it is for everyone. Maybe everybody isn't a critical level person like I am, but I know how I was, and I know how I deceived myself when I was in this disease and in the rooms trying to call myself recovered when I wasn't. And so my disease had already progressed very far at the age of 27. And some people, you know, they're, they're just not as low bottom as I was. But for me, this is what I do. And because I do this, I'm able to enjoy a very full life today. So full that, you know, every day I wake up and think, well, what am I going to do today? You know, I've got so many things I want to do. Well, that is a huge difference from waking up and being so hung over from the food that I could barely get out of bed. And dreading going to the closet to put my clothes on, because I knew that nothing was going to fit, or that you know I was just going to feel so gross, and how in the world was I going to get um past that food today without picking it up, and all that mental torture that I went through i mean it was it was continuous, and I know that it will it would be back because this is a progressive disease there's nothing um that would ever convince me otherwise and i have plenty of people in my life that i talk to and i hear about and i see and i've known for decades who have tried that experiment and it doesn't work so i'm just going to finish this um It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest in our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee, thy will, not mine, be done? These are thoughts which must go with us constantly, where we can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So that is giving me a license to do what I do today. I get up in the morning. I get on my knees. I ask God to please direct my thoughts and my actions. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. This morning, first thing after I did that, I had to send a text to my sister asking for uh, forgiveness for the way I had talked to her the day before or what we had talked about. And, you know, I am not perfect, but this program allows me to, um, you know, just do what I did yesterday, do it again today, and then this whole world has been opened up to me. I have, you know, on this 20-year marriage that has been beautiful. Um, I have healthy kids who could care less about food. I mean, they like food, but they're not like me. And I am able to continue to carry this message to people because I keep working it. So I just would like to uh, stand there, and I hope that people ask questions. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, KDF. And thanks to all our panelists this morning, Esther C., Chelsea H., Terry H., Katie, of course, thank you very much for your time this morning. All contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording. And before we open the floor for questions, let's remember a few things, please, that uh, OA takes no position on outside issues, that our panelists shared their personal experience as it relates to the text and do not represent OA as a whole. And please, let's not veer too far off the track here with questions that are geared to specific foods and specific food plans. Perhaps those types of questions are best suited for a one-on-one conversation, because we do all differ in the kinds of substances that cause cravings for us. So let's keep that in mind, and we'll now open the floor for questions. Please press or one to unmute and identify yourself, please.
5: Hello, Helen?
0: Hi, Helen. Go ahead. Uh, this
5: is Helen B. from this, of Columbia, and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this program this morning. And I have questions. Uh, I have special health issues, and I take medications that... Uh, makes it difficult for me to lose weight. And I've been looking for a professional. I know Chelsea mentioned professional health, and uh, Teresa, uh, Terry talked about uh, questions. How can I find either a nutritionist, Now I have a food plan because I have health issues that has been approved by a nutritionist, but there's no one that's going to do the kinds of things that I have met that's going to do the the questions and I have a sponsor and uh I have not gotten the list of questions that Terry mentioned uh in order to guide my plan uh how would I go about or any suggestions in looking for a guide that could lead me uh, in the directions I need to go I had I felt I was absent since January, and I'm happy because I have not gained weight. I have not lost any weight. So I'm at a critical level. Would you please anyone uh, that can give me some information on finding a person?
0: Thank you, Helen. Would any panelists like to address Helen's question?
1: This is Esther C.
0: Yes, please.
1: If someone has a medical condition, I don't normally have anything to say about that because I don't have an, a medical background and it's not my place to decide, but, and if a, a particular drug is, you know, per, has the effect of keeping a person at a at a raised body weight, then again, that's... Out of the um, you know scope of what we do in the twelve step room, um, but uh, you know if if you, if you have a a sponsor, or even if you sit down with yourself and say, you know, is all this weight that I'm carrying, and I don't know how much that is, is that all because of the drug, or could I be doing something different? And as long as your doctor approves of. Of any changes you make, then you could experiment in that way. I mean, I don't know if shop unless you. I don't know if shopping around for a particular type of sponsor would would help you. But although I would bounce those ideas off, you know, with someone who is recovered. I, I think there's a there are many people who have different, you know, um, medical um, situations that require modifications to their food plan, and I think. They can always be worked around as long as they're honest and they're working with someone who's got some experience in recovery. And I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Esther.
0: Thanks, Helen, for the question. And I just encourage you to reach out and make calls to fellow members here as they sh- can share their personal experience related to these issues as well. Next question. Star 1 to unmute, please. <coughs>
6: Suji, Suji, your turn. Thank you for your facilitation, and thank you so much for this panel. Beautiful. Um, so it got me thinking. This is my thought, my personal thought, that and, and I think you bore it out in <laughs> all of your shares. Abstinence is a process that starts with a food plan. And I'm saying this because I know um, sometimes people have a terrible time getting started with a food plan. That it it, it it induces great fear, and the person thinks she or he just can't do it. They can't commit to it, and have the notion that the food plan has to be perfect. But what I hear all of you saying is your food plan, your abstinence grew with the working of the steps. That, um, so I'm going to say, I, I wrote in my journal as I was listening to you. Separation from food is a process which leads to the connection to the all-sustaining faith, whatever it is, the God of our understanding. Um, and could you comment about this? Thanks, and I pass. Thank you.
2: I'll share to that, um Leia.
0: Thanks, Chelsea..
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For one thing, my experience was about getting started. One of the things I had to do was stop. By stopping, I was able to actually get started on the work. By that, I mean, I had to stop doing what I was doing because it wasn't working. And at that point, it meant in relationship to the food, I had to put everything down, all the food. And I had to keep it very, very simple because I was unclear about this whole idea of being honest around it. It was not my experience to be honest around the food. And also, I had identify them uh, identify what? All I could really relate to were my favorite locations and favorite binge foods and stuff. I had no point of reference. So by stopping, because you know, what the uh, like they say, Sue, when you're, uh, stop digging, when you're in a hole, stop digging. That's the first thing, stop. And that will be able to allow you to actually start, but you'll be going towards a destination. And once you get stopped, you'll be able to uh, get a skill set that will help you stay stopped this time by actually doing the work. Because you need, when the food goes down, you need to make great haste to the steps. There can be no loitering or anything. There can be no more lurking notions. You have to be very clear that you're ready to stop and actually stop. And if it's for a, a day, start the steps. Don't, you know, piddle around because the, your, the voices in your head will catch up with you faster, you know, if you don't put any kind of haste behind your um, work with the steps. And then you can always go back through and fine-tune and try to, you know, grow in effectiveness and everything, but put the food down, stop. That will allow you to start. And it's just a dynamic that I find. And as I continue to work with people, because I do do um, food uh, abstinence workshops, who would have thunk it? Somebody like myself living face down in the food and and a drunk would actually understand what it is, entire abstinence. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what it is. Those steps made that possible, actually taking them now. So for me, Sue, that's what it for people who are resistant and who have um, some people are genuinely afraid. Some people are afraid of getting abstinent because then who will they be? What will they do if they don't have food? Who will they be if they're not the raging person as a result from living face down in the food? So my experience and um, gratefully, is that these steps make it possible to get that neutrality around not only the food, but just in life so that you can flow yourself in your own stream and not have to eat your way because you can't manipulate other people's stream of life. You know, so that's what I can share with that, Sue. Thanks for the question.
0: Thank you. Any other panelists
4: want to speak to that? This is Alice.
3: Hi, Leah. This is Terry H. I'd like to just kind of respond yes. to that. Um, Alice,
0: one moment, please, and sorry, Terry H, sir. go ahead and respond.
3: Yeah, um, my experience was that was it is a process. Um, I just remember when I was handed that first food plan, um, you know, it was a good start for me, and, you know, of course I started losing weight, but what happened for me when I did go to a professional, which I really, you know, recommend because um, they really know they're, you know, they're in that field. And when I went to professional, I was not getting enough of certain certain foods that I needed, um, you know. So it was really good um, to get another perspective because it's like I don't know how to eat. So how would I expect you to know how to eat? So when I'm getting someone else's food plan, it may work for them, but it may not necessarily work for my body type. So um, that's where it really changed for me. I went to professional and, um, you know, we re- re really get what I needed for my body, and it, it it's been working ever since. And um, it's it's you know it, it is a process. It is a pro- definitely a process. So that's all.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Suji, for the question. And Alice, you have a question, please.
7: Alice star one to unmute, thanks, Leah. Sorry for jumping in earlier mm-hmm. um i I want to first say, you know, I love the surprise factor of the of not knowing who will be speaking on these special editions. It drives me crazy not knowing, and I love it because today it's like it's like opening birthday presents, you know, and today I love all my four presents. It's like you know esther Chelsea, Terry Katie man, I must be in a place of really open minded because I just everything just was so so rich for me this morning. My question is um and it comes out of this um what i i um what I didn't hear this morning, and it's okay it just wasn't people's experience is is around um the manifestation of of my disease in anorexia um that's it it comes out in that with me um Severely, and um, in terms of being abstinent, abstinent is my process i am I am way to measured abstinence you know, follow food plan all that is good, but I know for me um, there's extra um, extra ways oh, what am I trying to say um, there's more to my abstinence than what comes around the compulsive overeating and bulimia that i like to ignore you know there's there's um i'm the part of my disease the anorexic part plays a big still keeps me from being totally free it it does i can look abstinent but in my head i've got voices and um i'm usually embarrassed um, and my disease wants me to be embarrassed to talk about these things to other people you know to talk about the food food behaviors um that are in my head um my question is um i you know i have heard a lot of times um people say it's not about the food don't talk about the food what's really going on like when i have a a thing a, a um an obsession going on in my head like you know i really believe that i gain weight from drinking water i just you know just crazy thoughts like that and i'll start And I don't, and some people tell me it's really important to talk and talk. When these thoughts come in your head, you call someone and you talk it out and you talk and you get it out and you make sure people let you say it. And Other people say, um, no, you don't need to um, indulge your disease in that talk. Um, So I'm always, I'm always confused, you know, because I feel like I want to witness to these thoughts, these, these horrific thoughts in my head. And yet I don't want to feed into them by by obsessing by, you know, talking to people about them, writing about them. If one of you could just um share some insight or experience on that, um I just get really confused around that part. I mean that's my passed. Thank you, Alice. Any of the panelists
0: address
4: <laughs> that. Katie? Katie, go ahead. Hi, this is Katie F. And you know, that is what I was talking about with, um, that I continue to work this program in all areas. You know, in my particular um, way, I was taught to, um, well, I guess the word is accountability. I'm accountable for my actions. Um, and <clears throat> I write every day and I read that writing to my sponsor. I write gratitudes every day Um you know, while I was losing weight, I weighed myself once a month on maintenance. I weigh myself once a week. I have a, a window or a range where my weight is. And if I get above the range, I, you know, have to um, drop something. If I get below the range, I have to add something. It's a five-pound range. I usually live in the middle um, of that range. And I exercise, but I, you know, talk about my exercise. I commit my exercise. I bookend things. You know, and I am sure that people get sick of hearing about, you know, the different issues I have had over the years with a boss or, you know, my stepchildren or my husband's ex-wife or whatever is going on in my life right now at the time. But I do definitely talk about my stuff. You know, I definitely, that's what I'm talking about. That I have not graduated where I think that um, I should be above having to talk about these things. Now, sometimes it is embarrassing, you know, that I have to bring it up for the hundredth gazillionth time and that, you know, uh, my children's messy rooms are on my nerves again you know, or whatever the thing is. But it is, um, that's what this program is for. And, you know, do I share that stuff with a newcomer? Do I share that stuff with, you know, someone who's calling me because they're in a desperate place? No. But I do have enough people in my life who know me that I don't start from ground zero. I don't have to explain to you that I have four children. Two of them are stepchildren. One of them lives here and one of them lives there. They work at a law firm and I you know, live on a farm, and I and my husband, blah, 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 and all these things that there are four or five or ten people who know well enough that I can call them up and say, hi, and they'll say, you know, if I was going through a really difficult time yesterday, they will say, well, how did that go? You know, but if I'm not willing to be honest and humble enough to share that crap with people, um then i gonna go back to the food because that's what it was all about for me. It was all about secrets and pride and embarrassment and shame and remorse and guilt. And, you know, I live in trust, surrender, acceptance, and honesty today. And, yes, there are certain things that I, I never have to talk about again. They don't bother me anymore. But that doesn't mean that something new doesn't come along. And if, you know, you have Anorexic tendencies. Then, you know, there's people out here who will talk to you about that, and will help you to move through it to the other side where you no longer, you know, that's not your no anymore. You know, and you can look back over your shoulder and say, "Oh my gosh, it's been two years, and I haven't, you know, had a anorexic, whatever it is." And that'll pass.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Alice, for the question. Who's next with a question? Star 1 to unmute. This is Anne Marie. Anne Marie, go ahead. This is
8: Sharon in Colorado.
0: And then Sharon. Go ahead, Anne Marie.
4: Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. Thanks to all the panelists also. My question, well, I heard um, Katie uh, speak of this, but I didn't hear uh, Esther or... Um the other um Terry or um, I can't think of name. I apologize um do you continue well do do you um send your food to your sponsor um have you ever sent your food to your sponsor if you have um are you continuing and if you are not and have stopped, um how come you have have stopped? Um, just questions about um, writing down a food plan every day and sending it off to someone, um, either a sponsor or another um, recovered compulsive eater. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Anne-Marie. This is Esther. Go ahead, Esther. Um, When I first came into Overeaters Anonymous, and for a number of years I was in a part of Overeaters Anonymous where that was required, I did that, and um, and then of course I uh, and then I relapsed for the reasons I mentioned earlier, and then I finally found myself a uh, big book sponsor who took me through the steps. Now, when I met her, she'd never heard of some of these splinter groups. She'd never been on phone meetings, never heard of these splinter groups, and she fa- found some of the um, you know practices that I was doing. Some of them, you know, not helpful and then some of them just interesting. I continued for another couple of years to commit my food, but at some point I, you know, my food plan stays the same every day. I have the same amount of, you know, protein selections, starch selections, fruit selections every day. Um, you know, the food plan stays the same and and it was not a trigger for me, um, let's say, to commit a certain amount of vegetables and then and then to go to the fridge and, you know, to choose those vegetables Um, you know, when I went to the fridge, like I, I you know, once or twice a week I prepare a whole bunch of abstinent food and then I just, you know, take, depending on where I'll be eating it, you know, and how it's going to be packaged, it changes. Um, So, but it was not, I didn't feel that it was a trigger for me and I spoke to her about it. I said, you know, if I tell you I'm having, you know, this amount of vegetables, it's not a trigger for me if I don't know exactly what's going to go in that salad and she was fine with that. That's actually how she eats as well. So, after a few years, I stopped cooking my food. But when I make changes uh if I go through medical things and something has to change, or if uh, I travel and uh some foods i you know can't travel with i can't I can never cross the border into the u s with fruits and vegetables, so what I get on the other side might change you know so then I call her and we talk about strategies to how to handle that. But if it's the same thing every day for me, I didn't need to um I didn't sense that I was somehow, you know, being dishonest um in not committing my food. I realize that many people continue, you know, to commit their food every day. I've always felt that if something isn't working for me or if something is a trigger for me that somehow the issue will come up or it'll sort of take space in my brain and that's how I know that maybe something's a problem and and it never was for me. I don't remember what the other things you were asking about, so I'll just pass um, with that. Thanks. Thank you, Esther.
2: Um, I'd like to say, um, Leia, I'd like to yes. say. Yes, go ahead, Chelsea. <clears throat> well, I um, sent my food to the um, guide that took me through the steps um, up until my 10th step, and um, I don't send my food anymore. And the reason why is because the obsession to eat any of the binge foods has been removed because i walked through this process and my focus now, my behavior and my actions are all on centered on my primary purpose of um, working with others, of seeing what I can pack into the stream of life, the very things that it tells us that we're supposed to do to continue to grow in effectiveness and understanding. And, having daily recovery activities. I'm so busy living life, I don't have time to really um, obsess over food. It truly is neutralized, and it becomes a nutritional factor at that point. And as was just shared so beautifully, I too have, I have the, the same um, nutritional um, eating plan that I had um, when I got um, professional help to put it together and to get clarity. I don't need to bounce around with anything because I'm not, again, the obsession has been removed. I'm not obsessing over what new things are coming out or anything like that. I'm too busy trying to be aware of my behavior because my behavior now reflects what I believe. And I'm, I'm trying to grow an understanding of the source greater than myself so that I can be conscious of, of my interaction with it. And also, just so I can flow in the stream of life, which is what I'm supposed to be doing, seeing how I can be useful to others. Being other centered doesn't give room for all this finagling around the food. So, I guess that's why um, for me, and, I'm, and this has nothing, I'm not putting anyone down or anything that does it. More power to you. Whatever works, whatever's working for you to stay abstinent, sane, and work these steps in a daily and the principles that underlie them. Run with it. If it's working, don't do a thing differently. But the obsession's removed from me for that area. And again, my focal point is on growing to be of maximum service to my divine director, so that when, and whom I like to call Didi, when I get Didi centered and live that neutral thing so that I can be placed in the stream of life where I need to be, or whatever that purpose is for that day, and I can live in that now. That is the work that I'm going towards, not trying to figure out how can I manipulate my food plan and all. And the natural result of that is is that my food just flows into the stream of life with me. And as I grow older, I'm realizing that I have to, and again, as Sue had shared, that question was really great about the progression. It is a progression, and it's progressing as I go older. Different foods and things will have to be changed, so I go and get help because I I'm, I'm still need clarity, so I don't deviate from that and start having that even be an issue. So I stay centered on my primary purpose, and um, that um, works for me as far as the honesty, because I want rigorously honesty, integrity. That's A1. So when I'm able to implement that, I'm able to stay out of any kind of binge foods or anything like that, so it's a non-issue. Thanks for the question, Anne-Marie.
0: Yes, thank you, Anne Marie
2: and Sharon.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Terry. Did you want to add to
3: that? Uh, I I wanted just to, because um, she had asked the, the panelists that didn't speak, so I just mm-hmm. thank you for the question. Um, and yes, I do. I I am accountable to somebody on a daily basis, and that works for me. And it, it's not about um, it's not about relying on that on that person, but it's also I left the accountability accountability to my uh, to my program, so that you know I get accountable to God in the morning, and then I get accountable to another person um, with my food plan, and there's a few other things that I do for my program, and then you know I go out and help others. So that's what that's what works for me, and um, uh, it's just it it cuts down the monkey chatter about you know um, you know am I being honest or you know or do I have any you know because it, it for me it's like I, I don't need the wiggle room. I don't need the wiggle room, so to be accountable to someone else, i just I turn over my food and I'm done. I don't have to think about you know the food is not an issue for me. I can go like Chelsea said, just go and work with others, help others get out of self, but I've done that piece i've I've turned it over, and um it's like I'm just turning my life over in all areas um today, so yes, I do. thanks.
0: Thank you, Terry, and thanks again, Anne Marie, for the question. And now we move to Sharon. Sharon, you had a question,
8: please. Yes, thank you very much, Leah. Uh, this is Sharon H in Colorado, recovered compulsive overeater, and thank you so much, all four of the panelists. I've just gained so much insight and taken a lot of notes. And the one thing that I wanted to ask is that: to is it Terry with a T or C with or Carrie with a C? I couldn't understand which. That's Terry with a T. Terry, thank Tom. you.
1: Mm-hmm.
8: Okay, and uh, Terry, my question was, I wrote down the questions. You said you had five questions, and I'm, I'm working with someone going back with them through the doctor's opinion, and I thought the questions that you shared were really great, but I missed one of them. I do have, do I try to safely uh, use these foods in any form at all? Do I form the habit and then can't break it? Do I lose my self-confidence? Do I believe that a uh, human reliance could keep me sober? And then there was one I missed. Um, and could you share that again?
3: Sure. Um, the, the fifth question was, did my problems pile up on me? astonishingly difficult to solve.
8: Okay, great. All right, thank you so much, all of you. It was just uh, so uh, inspiring and, and um uh, And I thank you all for your time and your service.
0: Thank you, Sharon, for the question. Thank you to all who posed questions this morning. Helen, Sue, Alice, Anne-Marie, and Sharon. And of course, thank you to our panelists this morning, Esther C, Chelsea H, Terry H, Katie F. Thank you very much. And Once again, no one attends AA thinking that he or she is going to continue drinking while working the steps. You stop drinking and you work the steps. So what about in OA? Is that OA's message and uh, that we need to stop compulsive overeating and do anything to separate from our foods uh, before embarking on the program of recovery? So hopefully this panel has been helpful to all those on the line this morning, and we'll close in the way we always close our meetings, and that's from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order.